Well, welcome to the show again. It's always such a pleasure to be with you, and I always have fabulous guests, and today's is no exception. I can't wait to tell you about Joe Atkinson with PricewaterhouseCoopers. So first of all, though, I'm always asked, Valerie, you've had a leadership development firm for 25 years. You're doing workshops on leadership. You're coaching on leadership. Why did you start a podcast? Well, the long and short of it is my passion, and Joe knows this, has always been to develop authentic leaders. And all that means is I don't care whether we're coaching or I'm doing a speech or a workshop. I want people to get the point that you don't have to become somebody you're not because you climb up and up and you get more success. Don't ever look at that as, well, maybe I should be someone else. Because no, that's not authentic, and that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. So, today is just going to be fabulous. Stay tuned. Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. Well, you know, I didn't think I could possibly get a hold of the guests that I have today. Let me tell you how I met Joe Adkinson. I was doing personal branding with William Maruda for PricewaterhouseCoopers for 10 years, worked with many, many, many partners, taking them through that process. And I thought, you know, Joe is one of the senior leaders. I met him and he was always at those events so nice. He was so engaging. He always had a smile. And you know what? He always would say, hi, Valerie, how are you? Well, I don't forget people like that. And so I sent an email and I said, Joe, would you possibly be on my show? And so he is. Let me introduce Joe Atkinson. Today, Joe has an immense role at PwC. He's the vice chair, chief products and technology officer, leading the firm through the next wave of digital transformation. And we're going to be talking about a lot of things today, but one of them is the metaverse. So I'd like to welcome you, Joe. Thank you for taking your valuable time with us today. It's my pleasure to be here, Valerie. Thanks for the invite. It's great to reconnect. It's wonderful to have you. How often, by the way, are you now traveling? That is fairly constant these days, which is great because I love to connect with our partners and our teams, but uh, I probably spend 75 or 80% of my time on the road. Did y'all hear that 75 to 80% of his time? And yet, because he is authentic, he's on the show today. That's pretty awesome. And I'm very, very honored. You know, uh, Joe, there's, there's a storm brewing in technology. And I want to get to this metaverse thing first. Yeah. Because when we talked in our pre-interview, I really didn't know much about it. Since then, I've learned more. But can you just make it really simple for all of us? Yeah. What is the metaverse? 
Well, I'll give you the uh, metaverse according to Joe Atkinson, Valerie, which which <laughs> I would I would suggest to every listener and watcher that they get other people's perspectives too. But let me share with you the explanation that really resonated with me. Having been around tech my whole career, I remember, not all of your viewers will probably remember, but I remember when the internet were, were text-based message boards and you would mm -hmm. connect with the internet and you would post things and people would respond and there wasn't a graphic to be found and we'll leave aside the fact that you had all those dial-up noises and everything else that some of us remember. And then came the graphic user interface for the net. Uh, Netscape was one of the earliest ones, but you had Explorer and now you have Chrome, you have all of these different assets. And so we now engage with, with others on the internet in ways that are much more graphically enhanced. And think of metaverse as the next opportunity on the way that we interconnect with each other in a digital world where it will take it from a two-dimensional graphical interface to something that will feel much more three-dimensional. And we're in the early, early days of that, but think of it as an opportunity for us to, I won't say replicate, but maybe, maybe simulate real world interactions, bricks and mortar store experiences, interactions, connectivity and community in the metaverse. And that I think is a huge opportunity for the way that we all think about virtual connectivity. Well, that's pretty simple. Now, why, Joe, is that important to me as an individual, to our watchers and listeners? Well, if you think about the businesses you interact with, individuals you interact with, um, most companies now are looking to the metaverse to figure out how they can be present there. And interestingly, um, we've done some survey data that suggests uh, roughly half of companies are already operating in the metaverse, which means that the way you interact with the brands and the, and the consumer products and the distribution companies and the entertainment companies, that probably at some point in the near future, you'll have interconnections with them in the metaverse. And so that should, if we do this right, that should enhance your experience with those brands. It should give that a much more personal connectivity. It should make it feel more real, even though it's virtual. And so I think it's, again, I think it's an opportunity for all of us to see new ways of connecting. Uh, most of us who were on those message boards in the, let's say, late 80s, early 90s, probably didn't imagine the graphical interface that we had for so many, so many decades after. If it took us 20 years plus, 30 years almost, to get through the graphical interfaces to get to the metaverse, mm -hmm. just, just imagine we're at the very, very starting stages of a new trend. Thank you for that, which leads me to it's got to be something that is always evolving. Where is that right? It is. It <laughs> is. And I think like a lot of great uh, technology innovations, the, the, the most exciting part is you have people thinking about this in ways that, frankly, I'm not able to think about. I, I won't speak for you, Valerie, but I'm sure there's lots of people that wouldn't even envision the applications that some of our more creative, innovative technologists will be developing. And so that from that perspective is exciting. So you said earlier that you have been in technology forever. And what about this for you personally? Gets you jazzed? Well, you know, uh, speaking of forever, my, my father was a technologist. I picked up technology from my dad. So it was, it was a passion of his. It was one he passed on to some of his kids, most of his kids, there's seven of us. Um, and so thinking about what I learned in my early days of my career and now seeing what's happening and developing and, and being here for it, mm -hmm. just watching it happen, seeing the engagement, seeing the excitement, see the confusion, all of the things that happen when people are applying new technologies. Uh, I just think that's a privilege to be in a position like mine when so much is continuing to change and develop and advance in the technology arena. 
And I do think, and, and lots of smarter people than me have said this, but we talk all the time about the speed of innovation, that it's never been faster. And, and, and in fact, today is as slow as innovation will go because it's going to be even faster tomorrow and faster tomorrow and faster tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I think that speed for many of us and for many people can feel overwhelming, but it's also opportunity, it's creativity, it's innovation, it's the new creatives. And I think that from that perspective, again, to be in a seat like mine, have the opportunity to build teams and make investments and think creatively about how we apply these technologies to help our people, to help our clients, help society. I just think that's a very exciting time and that's what gets me jazzed. <laughs> that's, you're in the right place at the right time doing the right things, Joe. Which I was thinking about what I do know about you with the interactions we've had and you are engaging. In fact, your administrative assistant, Joy, was so kind in uh, setting all this up for us. And I want to tell the audience something that she said. She said, you know, he just gets it. He's just real. What do you suppose she meant? He just gets it. Well, I'm always grateful that Joy returns my phone calls and my emails, <laughs> given how crazy my schedules are. So the fact that uh, she said nice things about me at all is a gift. Um, but I, I hope what she meant, obviously, Joy, Joy decides what she meant, but I hope what she meant is is something that you and I have talked about a lot and that, that when we were working that program with William, we talked about a lot, which is um, there's no point in trying to craft relationships and engagements in a way that's not natural to you. Mm -mm. Uh, in fact, it's, as many people say, inauthenticity is exhausting. And so <laughs> um, I hope that that comes through in my interactions with Joy and everybody else I work with, that I, that I am what I am. Uh, take the whole package. You might love the package. There might be parts that you would trade, but uh, but this is what I got. So that's what we're all going to deliver. <laughs> you said, you said too, uh, and it goes to what you just uh, just uh, talked about. People are watching you, Joe. People are watching leaders. Yeah. And we talked about that a little bit. I'd like for you to. Uh, that's one of your take top takeaways too. You said. Leaders are being watched and they're judging your authenticity. Yeah. How does that make you feel? Well, look, I think, um, I think if you embrace this, this idea of authentic leadership, that shouldn't scare any of us. That, that's a good thing. Um, we're living in very, very unique times. We're living in challenging times. We're living in times with societal disruption. We're living in times of... of uh, political extremism, go through the list. Mm -hmm. We're living in times where people are concerned about um, the environment. They're concerned about uh, financial security. They're concerned about wealth disparities. There's so many issues that are showing themselves as our society continues to develop. And somebody listening may be saying, well, how did we just get from Joe's assistant saying he's real to talking about societal disruption? But I think any one of us, no matter what uh, the breadth of your leadership responsibility is. You could be in a small company. You could be your block captain. You could be in your family. You could be at your local school. It doesn't really, really matter that uh, the more integrity that we can bring to those relationships, the more integrity we can bring to what we say we're going to do and what we actually do, mm -hmm. and the more accountability we can bring to when we get it wrong, I think we have an opportunity actually to shift some of these problems that we all see societally, but we have to understand that it's on us. It's not on some amorphous group of people out there. We have to take accountability for it. 
Boy, are you right. We could talk a lot about that. Let's take that's it whole, to the- That's a whole episode all day long, I think. It is. Right? <laughs> and, and I want to make application with what you just said to the family. Joe, oh my yeah. gosh, parents today have challenges that we didn't. Yeah. What advice would you give my, parents? My youngest is 23. It's, it's funny. Um, you, you could not be more right. I, I'm fortunate the family celebrating this week. Uh, two of my nephews have had children in the last uh, about 10 days. So we're oh, very excited. Congratulations. Um, it's awesome. And it's it, again, it's just this wonderful gift of family. But, but it also, to your point, you look and, and realize that um, families that are starting today they face a very different uh, set of challenges. They, they face all kinds of challenges, education costs and rising prices and housing costs and all these things. And those are just the, the, the cost side of it. Then you have the societal piece. Um, so having observed all those problems, I'll get to your question, which is what's the advice I have. Mm -hmm. And I do think that there is a, a parallel here about authenticity and truth. Be the, be the parent that you wanna be mm -hmm. and, and connect with your kids as best you can um, my parents always used to remind me that you were the kid's parents. You weren't their best friend. Yes. Uh, you, you can be friends later in life. I do love that my <laughs> kids are in their twenties now. So it's a, at, by this time they've either uh, figured most of it out or they haven't. So we get along great. Um, but I think that that, um, that connectivity, that adjacency, that, that, uh, awareness, that, that constant connectivity with your, with your family. And I mean, in person, whenever you can, it's obviously challenging for, those of us that travel and all these these professional experiences that we all struggle through, but uh, stay connected. If you can stay connected, you can navigate through just about anything. Thank you for that. And how do you stay connected when you travel seventy to eighty percent of the time? <laughs> how have you been seriously able yeah. to do that, like FaceTime or what? I, you know, a lot of it, Valerie, comes down to, um, and and you can imagine, I've been in business for 30 years now, so some days I've gotten it right and some days I haven't gotten it right. So you just try to constantly get it better the next day. Um, but I do think that recognizing um, that when you're home, you're home. Mm. And uh, that, that's been a challenge in our hyper-connected world, hybrid work and all these things. The boundaries all fall apart. Mm -hmm. uh, in some ways, the travel part was easy because the family didn't expect much from me during those times other than, you know, the call at night or the call in the morning to check in on the test or whatever might be happening or the game or whatever might be happening. And that's not a model for everybody. I recognize that. But that's a model that our family worked through over the years. But I, I always used to tr try that when I arrived back home, I was home and I was present. Um, and I think if you can, if you can make that work and recognize that those times, whether they're, whether you're traveling or you just simply are at the office during the day or you're, or you're at work or wherever you might be doing, uh, that when the family's together, if you can be present to each other, that, that I think makes a difference. And again, I say that, I say that as a, as a dad of three and would tell you, I didn't get it right every day. And, and I'm sure my wife would say the same thing, but you try each day, just get it a little bit better the next one. And Joe, that's all we can do is try. Yeah. That's all we can do. I can imagine that your role, uh, any leader today, and particularly in your role, has a lot of stress. Is that right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't know anything about stress, but go <laughs> ahead with your question. We'll see if we can try to track to it. How do you handle it, Joe? <laughs> a lot of breathing exercises. Um, I Look, I think um, recognizing that... Uh, there's 
there's a, a nectar's around stress. One of the things I say to my my boys all the time uh, is that, that there's a lot of a lot of stress is a result of uncertainty. There's a question mm. that's unanswered. There's a promotion on the line. There's a um, there's an uncertain outcome on a business opportunity, whatever it may be. Uh, you don't know whether your boss is happy with your performance or unhappy with your performance. You don't know whether your peers like your performance, don't like your performance. We can all get caught up in that. Um, the benefit of 30 years in business is I don't get caught up in that as nearly as much as I did when I had two years in business. Mm -hmm. And I think that that comes back to this theme. It's why I think the, the power of your theme is so important, Valerie. It's this theme of we can do what we can do. We can control what we can control. There is a long list of things that we can't control. Mm -hmm. Our senior partner, Tim Ryan, reminds us that all the time. And he's spot on. And he's absolutely right. Control what we can control. And if you can, if you can work to accept those things that are uncontrollable, maybe you can mitigate their impact, but you can't really control them. I can't control the geopolitical environment. I can't control decisions my competitors will make. I can't control decisions my clients will make. I can't control the great resignation was a massive stress on organizations. Mm -hmm. I couldn't control those things. What I can control is my response to those things. And that, that um, I'll say clarity can really help put put the uncertainty in perspective because once you know that, the reality is a whole lot of things that you want to worry about come off the list because worrying about them really won't do much. Uh, there's a great movie with uh, Tom Hanks, Bridge of Spies. If you've never seen Bridge of Spies, I highly suggest it. Oh. Um, and in the movie, there's a there's a Russian spy. He's been taken he's been taken prisoner by the United States government, and Tom Hanks is representing him. And the the facts are really really not good for this Russian spy and Tom Hanks is sitting in the in the jail cell with him and he says to Tom Hanks says to the Russian spy well aren't you aren't you worried at all and the Russian spy looks at him and says would it help <laughs> and i think that i think of that movie all the time i think of that line all the time you can worry and i recognize to be i don't mean to be flippant there's anxieties and yeah. there's a lot of mental health and anxiety disorders that we're all dealing with in society and that's a different different animal completely but to the extent that you can control your desire to worry about things that are out of your control mm -hmm. i think that helps a lot with the stress that is very, very wise, indeed, very, very wise. I got frustrated, Joe, just yesterday, as a matter of fact, and I had, here, here's the other thing. For me, I've at least learned to catch myself a little bit yeah. faster. Okay? That helps, too. That, <laughs> that helps, too. <laughs> I agree with that, because sometimes you can't help it, and you're going to be in it. Right. But, but the acknowledgement that you're in it, and why am I reacting this way, and how am I reacting this way, and starting to really examine the feelings that you can help to manage for yourself, I think is important. That's important. One of the things that uh, in leadership today is so important, which is handling the, I'm just going to say the, the environment to make people, people feel safe. Yeah. There's a whole lot of conversation around, are you as a leader helping your people feel safe? What is, what comes to your mind with that and how do you do that? Well, it's a really interesting question and I, I suppose you could interpret that a lot of different ways, but uh, I'll go to um, the role of leaders in creating environments where people can thrive and mm -hmm. feel healthy. And um, if you if you look across um, lots of stories of failed businesses, and, and that's one of the things that um, is always interesting to me, either businesses that are failed or that, that underperform for whatever reason, Often there will be a theme. Um, it will usually be, not always, but usually be that the environment for the employees was not a healthy one. 
Mm. You couldn't speak up. You couldn't, you couldn't share a perspective that was contrary to the prevailing perspective of the leadership. Um, and I think if you can create environments for your teams where people feel like their perspective is trusted and valued, and you can take away the anxiety that if I disagree, I'm going to have a problem. If I disagree, I'm going to be an outcast. If I disagree, uh, that's going to impact my performance in some way. Um, I think when you can create that, you can create that sense of safety for people because they're not waking up in the morning saying, boy, should I have should I have said what I felt in that meeting or what I thought was the issue in that meeting? They're waking up knowing that their perspective is valued. It doesn't mean that every time that they share that perspective, you have to do what they say. Mm -hmm. But if you create the right environment and you can hear people out, I think you can create um, much more healthy environments for your people. And I, the other piece I want to go to, Valerie, is actually something we touched on a few minutes ago, which is boundaries. Mm. Um, one of the observations that I suspect most of us would make is that as we all navigated through the pandemic and we moved from our morning commute and routine of whatever it might have been, but for me, it was usually coffee, always coffee, <laughs> and then it was a commute into the office. Those commutes into the office, whether it was by train or car, or however you managed to get into the office, they were natural boundaries of our day. You knew that when you put the laptop cover down and you packed up the bag and you went to the parking garage or you went to the train station, that something had happened. You were in transition from one mode to another mode. Well, when we all ended up in our family rooms and our living rooms and working in laundry rooms or wherever we could find space to put the laptop and the camera, the boundaries went away. And it wasn't just us. It was everybody in our families and our units at home and friends, et cetera. And so days stretched on. They started earlier. Everybody looked at that time that was no longer the commute time as available time to just be, be available to the organization, be available to the employee. And I think we all need to get collectively better at respecting the fact that somebody's presence in their home hmm. and the fact that they may have a device available to them does not mean that they're available to us. And we have to give each other license to say, I'm not available right now. And it doesn't matter if I'm not available because I'm sitting on the couch and I'm watching a television show that I want to watch or that I'm sitting with my kids having a conversation with their homework or what have you. It doesn't matter. That That is our individual professional and personal right to have those boundaries. And I think all of us as business, as business leaders have got to get much more comfortable in that allowing, if you will, enabling, empowering is probably a better word, our teams to protect their time so they can get those boundaries back. Wow. Coming from you and how much you're doing with your teams, that's, that's fabulous. And I'll tell you why. Because there's an organization I'm familiar with, Joe, that in time, uh, in the time of pandemic, the Zoom calls. I was working with one of the senior leaders at this Fortune 500 company where they had Zoom calls literally all back to back starting at 7 a.m., ending at 7 p.m. And here's what my coachee said. And then I'd get phone calls after that. Yeah. And so then I said, so when are you expected to get the work done? Yeah. <laughs> if we're the, on Zoom the calls all the time. The capacity to get work done has been eaten by the connectivity, the virtual connectivity throughout the day. Yeah. And, and look, I think, it's, I think it's important. It goes to this point of how do you, how do you foster relationships, solid relationships mm -hmm. in an environment where we may not be physically located in the same place. And, and for all of the challenges of those boundaries and the stack of Zoom calls, there is a huge positive, which is there is a re 
turn to empowered flexibility mm -hmm. that this provides. Most of us, at, if you went back five years ago, uh, if you were working from home, wasn't it wasn't uncommon in some organizations that somebody would work from home, make a bunch of conference calls, but they would never tell anybody they were working from home because they didn't want to be perceived as not committed to the office or whatever they might be perceived as. Well, now there's no hiding it. You know where we all are, and that's okay. <laughs> but I think this ability to actually create capacity during the workday and recognize that when the workday is concluded, that it's concluded is really important. And I recognize I, I have a lot of responsibilities. Sometimes the calls are going to stretch into the evening. And sometimes different things are going to happen. And that's the nature of work. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think the difference that we've all seen over the last 24 months or so is that that, it, that became more the rule than the exception. And I think as leaders, we have to help get that construct back. It isn't about slacking off. It isn't about doing less. It's about actually giving people the time to work and the time to recover. You know, uh, that reminds me of a, a client that um, went on vacation and she literally flew back to her office three times yeah. during the vacation to take care of things. And I don't want to be judgmental, but in my mind, just what you said, I thought, my goodness, she doesn't have any boundaries for herself. The day might come when she might get burned out. What do you think? Yeah. Look, I think it's I think it's um, really challenging to sustain that kind of delivery um, all the time. And again, yeah. we're in a client service business. If if client calls on you, the nature of the business that we're in, we're going to help a client through a crisis. If that means it interrupts, it interrupts. Um, but but if you if you build the right resilience in your delivery teams, and you build the right comes back to something else you asked. How do you create the right uh, environment, the culture, the connected trust that you need in a team. Mm -hmm. If you build that, then your hope would be that rather than she getting on an airplane, that the team's going to help cover for her during that time. And and then for us as leaders, we also have to trust that the team has it because um, that's the other piece. Part, a lot of our type A personalities come through in this moment and say, I know the team is telling me they've got it, but I really need to be there to make sure they've got it. We have to we have to trust and empower people. And if you got the right high performers around you, you can. That's called micromanaging, I think. <laughs> Who's got I've time? I've never seen that, but I'll take your word for that one, too. <laughs> I've got... certainly never been guilty of that, maybe once in a while. Joe, are you ever going to write a book? And if so, what would it be about? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know that I have plans to write a book, but if I wrote a book, um, it would either be a fiction piece, because I love I love a good story, um, or it, it might be about um, business ideas that were missed. Um, so I was having this conversation the other day. Now I'm going to broadcast my idea. Somebody else will write the book. But um, if you look over the the history of some of the technology advancements that we hold very dear today, right? Pick it. You're, you can get your um, lunch delivered by an application. You can get your groceries delivered. You can get just about anything you want in a box to your front door. Um, most of those companies were not the first companies to do that. Mm -hmm. In most cases, they were the second or the third. And if you go back 10, 15 years before the start of those companies, you would usually find an innovator who had seen that opportunity that for whatever reason, the business model, the funding, the technology, the players, it just didn't work to make the make it work. I think there's something really interesting to be studied there and maybe a book. You know what? That is really true. I don't think, Joe, there's one person that's watching or listening can't say just exactly that. The opportunity, yeah. I'll never forget as an example, when we moved to Dallas, 
and there was this area called Plano, Texas, and it was way out. And my husband said, well, let's look in Plano. And I said, oh, no, I don't want to live in the country. (laughs) Missed opportunity, which leads me to ask you something else. We talked a little bit about the need to pivot. And you recently had a situation where you really had to do that. Talk to us about that. Well, I look over my career, frankly, Valerie, I, I've been fortunate. I've, I've pivoted a, a number of times. Sometimes it was, I'll, I'll call it a self-initiated, self-directed pivot, but often it is a it is a set of circumstances that present themselves where you have to look look inside and figure out how to pivot. Hmm. And if I look at my own career, I, I had the great fortune in the firm. I was always in the consulting business. That's where I spent most of my career. And then when when I was asked to take on a role driving the firm's transformation, that was a very different challenge. Um, I sometimes joke with clients that I wish I had done that first. I probably would have been a better consultant. I think I was a pretty good consultant, but I think I would have been a better consultant. Um, but that pivot of serving clients every day to how do I deliver value to the firm as a firm leader responsible for helping us transform our business, skill our people, change our technology footprint. That was a that was a huge pivot. It was a very different set of skills, and and frankly, still developing those skills. Uh, you look at the comparison. I've been in these transformation type role for six years now. I was in consulting in the tech, media, and telecom space for twenty four before that. So, I still have the heavy preponderance of my experience in the job that I'm not really doing anymore, and that that uh, that gives me a nice challenge and growth every day. Well, we're always pivoting, and I'll just say sometimes I'm dancing. I don't know about you. Yeah. <laughs> You know, every once uh, in a while, every once in a while, little every top once dance in a while. And top hat comes out. Just turn up the right music. Exactly. You uh, you said something too. I want to talk about which is stay open to things that weren't in your plan. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I, I was talking to a student yesterday, a really talented student uh, who is looking at the firm as a potential place to work. I give this advice often, particularly to students, but it applies at every stage of your career. If I had planned out my career value, if I had if I had put a put a board on the wall and stepped everything out and put the greatest aspiration that I hoped I could achieve in my career, I would have undershot my career. The mm. opportunities that opened up were greater than what I would have envisioned for myself. And it becomes easier to see that when you're 20 years, 25, 30 years into your career. It's a lot harder to see it when you're five years into your career and you're trying to figure out where it's all going to take you. Mm-hmm. Lots of good people, well-intended people will give you the advice to be thoughtful about your career, make good decisions, think about the career pivots. That's all true. But if you allow that to narrow the lens too tightly, to see only those things that are in your field of vision that you think are your perspective from your perspective or the places that you want to go, it, it runs the risk that you'll have blind spots to opportunities that actually could really transform your career path. Um, and I'll use myself as an example. If in that moment where uh, our senior partner asked me to take on transformation for the firm, I had looked at it and said, well, no, I, I really actually had an expectation to lead different parts of our consulting business or lead the TMT business, which is what I was doing at the time. And I thought that was my best career track. It's a great career track, but I would have missed all of the growth and the opportunity that came with this role. So that openness, I think, is critical. And sometimes that requires sitting down and thinking about the opportunity and realizing it may not be anywhere on your plan, but a good professional risk with people you trust Mm. uh, can often be a a career transformation moment. So stay open. What about those, what about Joe, those, um, 
oh, what would I call them, challenges you've had, or even, hate to use the word failures, but when you felt like a failure, how did you keep your mojo up? I think anybody that's had a, a career hiccup, a career failure, um, I think the reality is you lose your mojo for a little bit. Yep. And I think acknowledging that you lose your mojo for a little bit is okay. Um, it's, it's like any other um, loss, obviously not as serious as maybe a life loss, a loved one, but, but it's in some ways not different that you had a certain expectation of what was going to happen. Something different happened. And it just, ha you have that gut punch of this is not what I expected. This, mm -hmm. this, this feels bad. And I think, um, my observation is the really resilient people are not the ones that ignore those moments because they'll come back and bite you. The really resilient people in my experience over my career are the ones that experience those moments for what they are. Mm -hmm. And then when they can get through the first gut punch and to kind of get their breath back to them, mm -hmm. then they look at it and say, well, what, what did I just learn? What, why did that happen? Why was my expectation here and the outcome was there? What did I just learn? And I think if you can stay focused on this idea of learning, uh, that to me has always been the, the energizer behind me is, okay, what's the new thing? How can I learn? What's the new challenge? Mm -hmm. And if you can convert those failures into learnings, um, that will often help you get your mojo back in my experience. And we might have to do that a little more often these days, Hancho. I suspect that's very true actually, because <laughs> I think, um, the way business is developing, the volatility that you're seeing, the challenges that, that confront all of us. Um, I think more of us will experience unexpected outcomes that weren't on the plan than we have previously. And again, that's okay. If you're leaning into the wheel, so to speak, and continue to push, I think we're all going to learn a lot. We're always learning. And, you know, we're always in challenges. One of the things, too, that you mentioned I'd like you to talk about was the importance of surrounding yourself with smart people that you can trust even, and I love this, even if they are challengers in your life. Yeah. I, um, I've been fortunate to work with great people who helped, helped me learn this. And somebody said this besides me, so I'll, I'll miss the quote. But um, if you want to have a meeting with 12 people, also you can gather to agree with each other. You can send 11 people home. You really don't need uh, to gather people to agree with each other. You need to gather people to challenge each other so you can get to a better outcome as a group than you can get to individually. Uh, some leaders are comfortable with this, get more comfortable with this over the course of their career. Some leaders get very uncomfortable with this. And uh, particularly as you get seniority, mm -hmm. uh, my observation with clients and colleagues from time to time is as, as that seniority develops, you expect that your, your station is going to create consensus. And in my experience, best teams, it does not work that way. Um, your, your station gets you into the discussion. You've earned your right to be at the table to have a debate with your colleagues. Mm -hmm. And if you can keep that kind of environment going, in my experience, you get much, much better decisions than you do if you have a bunch of people who want to tell you how great your idea is. Don't need bobbleheads. I do heads. not have people like that around me, which is great. So they... They rarely tell me how great my idea is, which is great. Oh, I'm sure a lot of them are great. I want to ask you some quick questions. Are you ready? Sure. These are just ready. fun. What, what's, okay. the, what's the silliest thing you've ever done? Silliest thing I've ever done? Mm -hmm. uh, boy, that's a really good question. Um, hmm. I would go, uh, well, I'm going to go to dancing. I've probably danced in some places and on some, on some things that, that 
uh, was silly at the time. So my family uh, tends to be a family that likes to really enjoy a good party together. And so I'm sure uh, there were a few times that uh, the dance moves were far in excess <laughs> of my dance capability. So that was prob that's probably a good example. That's great. Okay. What's a talent you wish you had and you don't? Oh, I took piano lessons as a kid and I wish I stuck with them. I would love to oh. be able to play the piano. Can't, I, I can play a couple of things, a Christmas carol or two, and that's about it. Uh, but I, I, I would love to play it, and I might go back at some point once I retire and have a little bit more time on my hands. Now, see, that's a great perspective. I might go back to that. It's not lost. It. It's not lost. What's the scariest ride you've ever taken at an amusement park? Oh, that's a good one, too. Um, Actually, I'm, I'm at our place. We have a place down here in Ocean City, New Jersey, and they have one of those ones that goes up about, I don't know, it feels like it goes up 200 feet. I don't know how high it is, high. but it just kind of cranks you up the thing and then it just <laughs> drops you in a vertical drop. I do not enjoy uh, straight vertical drops, so I, I would say that. I forget what they call it, death drop or something awful like that, but it was it, it, it fit its name. Did you Thankfully, do it? I survived it. Oh, I did it. I did it with my kids. <gasps> one yeah. not to do again. Probably not. <laughs> Although uh, I, I just remember my kids laughing through the whole thing. So they don't tell them they could probably still talk me into it. I'm sure grandkids will talk me into it one day. Maybe who knows? Give me their emails. <laughs> what's the most, what's the most indulging food you would eat or do? Mm. Well, I, um, I love a, a good steak, even though, you know, I've, we're all watching our cholesterol these days. Come to Texas. So, <laughs> exactly. So you you do big steaks in yeah. Texas. There's a great restaurant in Philadelphia that um, has a Wagyu beef cheesesteak. And oh. for those of us that, that know the restaurant, you probably know the name already. Uh, but it is a ridiculously expensive cheesesteak appetizer, and it is awesome. <laughs> Send me the name of it. I will. Should I, will. I Should I get back there? When I ask you to think about this, let's see if you came up with something, Joe. Okay. I said, what's a question maybe that no one's asking you'd like me to or something around that? Yeah, I, that was a really hard question that you had. <laughs> Even like the question about quest what's a question that nobody's asked you I found was really hard, Valerie. Yeah. I, the great privileges of my job is I've had a lot of opportunities to talk to different people in different settings. Right. I could not come up with one, actually. I, really? And in part because the kinds of questions that you've asked during this discussion, I think are the kinds of questions that I love being asked. So I'll just Good. tell you that I think you're hitting them in the discussion we're having today. Well, what a compliment. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Is there anything you want to ask me? Well, I would love, uh, I'd love your perspective, actually, given, given how much time you spent on coaching and development of if, if you, uh, and you do, you're advising leaders every day. What, what are we all missing? Is there something that we're missing that we're not paying enough attention to given all the changes that are going on in the world? Something mm -hmm. that we should be paying more attention to than we are. Thank you for that question. I think I would say the first thing that comes to my mind is taking care of yourself, mm -hmm. the well-being, because it's so easy to do, 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 yeah. And I just try to, and it has to do with authenticity too, which is take time to just be, 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 be. And for yeah. whatever reason, Joe, that seems to be very different kind of comment to people. Well, what do you mean just be? Yeah. What do you think about that? 
Well, I, I probably, uh, first, I think it's a great comment. And I think it's, um, I think it is a sad but true statement that most of us are not um, doing what we need to do to look after ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and, and by the way, I don't think that's true only of leaders. I think that's true of everybody in the whole stack of organizations. But I also think there is, um, I'll sound a little bit like an like a, um, anti-technologist here, and clearly I'm not. But I do think that there is a point at which the technology invades every aspect of our life. We're constantly on. Mm -hmm. um, things are buzzing. Things are notifying. Things are clicking. And and it all, you would know better than me with your background, it is all designed to gather our attention and to bring our response. And so that requires something different for most of us. It requires us to isolate from some of the tech sometimes, to turn it off. And most of us don't like to do that. And, and of course, recognize, again, depending on your responsibilities, you may not be able to do that. Uh, but I think when you have the opportunity to do that, um, grab, who knows, maybe even a book made of paper uh, mm -hmm. and sit down and, and spend some quiet time, uh, that that's, that's an opportunity most of us don't give ourselves enough. And I think that's the key word things we don't give ourselves the opportunity to. There's something that I'm trying to give myself the opportunity to, which yeah. is get up from the seat. Yeah. Because according to research, sitting is the next cigarette. Yes, It's not good for us. I know you know no. that. And so I tell Google, who's my right arm right here when I'm at home at the computer, at uh, 45 minutes, alarm, go off. Yeah. And yeah. if I didn't, Joe, I'd keep working. But yeah. it forces, Amen. right? Does that resonate? It, it absolutely does. In fact, uh, one of one of my colleagues at, at PwC, uh, we, we were on a call. This is this is kind of the height of the pandemic, and uh, we had all gotten so used to all of our meetings being on video chats, right? So we were right. always connecting by the video platforms, and they had dialed in on the phone like the old days. <laughs> And they said, um, they said, sorry, I'm not on video. This is my walking meeting today. And it was a great, uh, it was a great lesson for all of us because we all started to adopt it. So there are calls where you have a big team that you need to or want to be visible. Mm -hmm. But most of us have a few calls where we really don't need to be visible. And that's a good time to put the headphones in and put the phone in your pocket and go take a walk while you're connecting to that call. So even if you don't get the break in the day, at least you have a chance to be mobile. I'm going to steal that. I think that's really cool. All yours. There's I think no that's... royalty required for that one at all, Valerie. That one's all yours. <laughs> well, since you are so into technology, I'll share with you. I'm getting ready to um, go, I don't mind saying the company, to Nextera in November to do a program on some of the things we've talked about, meaning your brand presence in the virtual world. Yeah. And that's a whole nother topic, but I love the piece and I'll tell that story about maybe you don't have to be right there with your face showing if you let people know, you know what, I'm walking during this meeting, yeah. if it's okay. Well, I think that's brilliant. Why not? I think we got to, we, we have to give each other permission for those things. That's we have what, to. Yeah. Give yourself permission. Joe, this has been as awesome as I knew it would. It's more than wonderful to reconnect, and I'm Same. really, really honored that you took the time. So thank you, my friend, so much. Oh, my pleasure. I'm honored by the invite, and it was great to spend time with you, Valerie. Thank you. And I also want to thank Betty Ryder 
for this beautiful blouse I'm wearing today. She gives me some clothes that are just awesome. Betty Ryder Boutique in Preston Center. There's a red door. Just go through it, and you'll find beautiful clothes, handbags, jewelry, and other things. And listen, I want you to know that I do workshops on some of the things we've talked about today, leadership, every aspect of it. I call it Make Your Mark and Make It Count. If you have a company that you own or you work for a company that needs some workshops on leadership, how you show up and who you are and bringing your wonderfulness and talents to the workplace, give me a call. I just call it professionalism, an image of excellence. I'd love to come in and do something with you. Now, stay tuned for my Valerieism for today. And here it is. Show me the people you surround yourself with, and I'll show you your future. Isn't that true? All this means is, very simply, surround yourself with people who give you energy and have your back. Don't allow yourself to get pulled down by Debbie Downers, where you leave the conversation kind of feeling like, oh, that was just not fun. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.